Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Investment banker turned entrepreneur Kimberly Ho is the founder of Ever Eden, a natural skincare brand dedicated to creating the safest standards in skincare for both children and the whole family. Hi everyone and welcome to Founder Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs building some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable and Main, a modern hair wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable in Maine has been an incredible journey so far, and I decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition, and so I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other in what can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you're an entrepreneur or simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. So without further ado, it's a delight to introduce you our guest for today, Kimberly Ho. Founder of family skincare brand Ever Eden, Kimberly Ho decided to leave behind investment banking on Wall Street to create a line of baby skincare products. Questioning the truth behind clean and natural brands in skincare for women, let alone for babies, who have even more vulnerable skin, Kimberly set out to build products both plant-based and scientifically backed. And I love that she also leads Ever Eden with the help of her team of mums in medicine or dermatologists who are mothers themselves. A Forbes 30 Under 30 lister and featured across Wall Street Journal, Vogue and New York Magazine, to name a few, Kimberly truly is changing the game. And I cannot wait to sit down with her today to discuss her passion behind Ever Eden and what she hopes to see as the future for this industry. So Kim, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Akash. The honor is mine. Thank you so much for having me. So, you know, I ask all my guests the same question. It's a bit of a tricky one, but it's a very important <laughs> one. And it's, who is Kimberly in a nutshell? That's a great question. Um, I love that. I would say that, you know, if you were to describe me in a nutshell, I'm someone who loves to create um, and also someone who finds thrill in seeing in the dark. And so what that means is, I guess, oftentimes in entrepreneurship, there is no magical roadmap steps one to 100 telling you what you should do for your your own company, your own brand. Um, and I think for me, fortunately, I am someone who just loves the thrill of that open white page, um, the ability to not just map that out, but constantly having to see in the dark. Um, and I, I would say that maybe, you know, a lot of it has to do with the fact that I was a startup baby, like a literal startup baby, literally seven months old in my mother's womb as she started her company from very, very humble beginnings in Malaysia. Um, she built up her company with my dad. And so I grew up in a very entrepreneurial environment, which oddly enough turned me away from entrepreneurship. You know, I went to Sanford for my undergrad. And then after that, I went to Goldman Sachs um, where I was an investment banker. I had a great career in finance for a couple of years and I never expected to be an entrepreneur, but here I am. Um, and, you know, I would also say I'm an optimist and I value autonomy a lot. Um, entrepreneurship is famously difficult. I didn't even think I would do it seeing, you know, the, the pain that my parents went through building their business. And I would do it all over again for the freedom and autonomy that I have today. 
Um, so I would say that's me in a nutshell. And if I had to offer any advice, if you're feeling that itch and, and you have a sense that you have an idea or want to do something, if you're someone who, you know, is an optimist, you like to create, you, you get a thrill uh, from risk taking and you value freedom and autonomy, entrepreneurship might just be for you. Oh, I love that. And would you suggest or think that like having that entrepreneurial blood, as you would say, with your family, probably did help you in creating the, you know, your own brand? Or was it like, um, actually just coincidence in a way? I think they shaped a lot of my DNA and who I am, you know, like growing up, I just learned so much from my parents. Like my mom, she had no filter. So she would come home and tell me all the issues with like the sales team, like how they hated the marketing team and who was at each other's throats. And I learned about office politics when I was six years old and, you know, boardroom drama when I was like, you know, not that much older than that. And so growing up, just having that be a part of your life and absorbing all of that must have left an impact on me. But the impact I thought it left initially was like, hell no, I'm not doing this. This is too crazy. I want to, you know, have a nice, stable, respectable job on Wall Street, you know, study economics. Um, I love that. I mean, it's it's actually, we have so many similarities because my father is being an an entrepreneur um, for 40, 50 years now. And I was always pulled into his boardroom meetings, sitting in the side as a young kid. And he used to always like to say, just listen, you know, stay here and listen. And again, I was like, oh, I don't know if I like this. This is stressful. I did engineering, did my you know, five-year career in, in the industry. And then I ended up being an entrepreneur. Because I actually, I, I think all those lessons we grew up with um, kind of made me, I guess, familiarized with it from a very young age. But it also made me realize a little bit now what kind of entrepreneur I want to be. What do I want to have more of in my company and where do I want to have less of? And, you know, as you said, there's office politics, like now creating a company where I'm like, how do I avoid that as much as possible? Which stakeholders do I allow into my life that allows me to minimize that kind of stress? So yeah, I I think it it helps us in a way as well to have those learnings from a young age and even the negative ones where you're like, "Mm -mm, not for me. Um, So I think that's definitely very... Yeah, very apt for us. But um, I, I do want to talk, talk a bit about, you know, you said you grew up in Kuala Lumpur um, and then it was only before Stanford that you moved to the USA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, what was, my, yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, no, my first day in the US was I land, when I landed in SFO a week before classes were meant to start at Stanford. Um, I'd never been to the States before. Um, Malaysia's pretty far. It's like a, I don't know, 24-hour door-to-door flight. There's no direct flight. Like, it's a lot. And so when I first got into Stanford, there wasn't even a question that I could go visit the school first before, you know, packing my whole entire life into uh, to the States. And so... Um, I, my, my, my parents were fine. They were thrilled for me. My grandparents were very concerned. Um, my grandfather, he was so cute. He was like, do you even know like anything in this about the States? Like, do you even know anybody there? And I was like, no, but I grew up watching friends. So everyone's basically going to be like Chandler and Monica and Rachel is going to be great. (laughs) So that was my first impression of the States, like Nickelodeon and MTV MTV, and friends. And I got to SFO and people were not like that. Yeah. I mean, like definitely not my super suit 16. I don't think that's like, (laughs) (laughs) but um, it definitely does bring that kind of like desire. I remember growing up and always being like USA, USA. Um, But then why Stanford? Was it always like um, Ivy League? Was that a dream of yours growing up? Yeah. um, I read in the newspaper, I think when I was 14, it was like the biggest newspaper in Malaysia that, you know, uh, it was like the first page or something. This girl got into all of these great universities, including Stanford. And I asked my mom, like, mom, what is the Stanford thing? And she told me what these universities were. And I thought, oh, I'll do that soon one day as well. And she laughed and she thought it was really cute. But it became a very real goal of mine from the time I was 14, you know, basically the time I saw that newspaper clipping. And so I worked really hard to get in. And um, I, I, I like Stanford most of all because it seemed to have a very nice campus. And I grew I grew up in the tropics where there um there is no four seasons. And so I thought the weather there would be really nice for me as well. Oh, I mean, it is out of all the, the main Ivy Leagues that were in my dream list, I think Stanford would have been my top because of just 
being in Cali and the weather and the campus. It's, and I've been there so many times. I've even got a T-shirt, or even though I don't even, I never studied there. But um, it, it's just like the most beautiful one. So super congrats. And what did you um, major in or study? I majored in economics. Um, you know, I had a full ride from the Malaysian Sovereign Wealth Fund to go, go to Stanford. And they gave me three choices, basically. They said economics, math, or law. And by process of elimination, I, I said, fine, you know, economics out of those choices. Um, what I really wanted to study, though, was uh, English lit. Um, you know, I've always been a very creative person and I, I love languages. I love reading. I love writing. In another lifetime, I think I would have entertained an MFA or, you know, gone down a totally different path. Um, but there you go. I had to pick one of the three. So I picked economics. I minored in creative writing. And then um, when I was majoring in economics, all of my friends in economics were trying to get into this. They were trying to get an internship from this place called Goldman and Sachs. And I was like, what is Goldman and Sachs? And so, you know, I, I was kind of nosy. You know, I went for an interview with Goldman Sachs and um, I, I got the job and I did the internships. I came back full time. And in a blink of an eye, I've spent over four years in finance, first in investment banking wow. at Goldman Sachs, and then later on investing in consumer and healthcare companies where I learned the ropes and really got to see behind the scenes what made and broke um, some of the biggest consumer companies in the U.S. And, you know, that gave me a real taste um, and an okay. interest in starting a consumer brand and operating a brand. Well, I think also like just seeing, just to know, like your second company you worked after Goldman, was that a PE or um, like a private equity company or? Yeah, um, it, it was, Oak, it's Oak Tree Capital. And so it's one of the largest yeah. investment funds in the world. Um founded by Howard Marks, legendary investor, um, and they invest in debt, equity, um, private companies across, you know, the whole spectrum, uh, distress to private equity. Um, yeah, because you know, most of my friends, um, I did engineering, as I said before, and they all went into finance. It was just like the done thing. <laughs> uh, most of my, my best friends today are still in, in Goldman Sachs and um, <laughs> yeah. in, in, whether it's head funds, PEs, you know, the whole thing. And uh, a lot of them are learning a lot with it, CPG, you know, consumer goods and all this stuff. And as the only probably entrepreneur friend of theirs, it's, it's, I kind of push them a lot. I say, look, you see it a lot. You know where they invest, especially in private equities, you know where they're looking for, you know, the gaps in the market. Um, and they all kind of say, yeah, okay, I want to like leave soon. You know, I want to do my own thing. And actually sometimes I say to them, like, take a step back, you know, obviously like the best entrepreneurs in my mind have a real connection to the brands and a desire to want to create it. You don't just do it in a boardroom, right? You see a gap, but you also have passion and everything. But you'll be surprised if sometimes you do need to take a step back and cultivate the idea. It doesn't just always come on your lap. Um, totally. And I kind of tell them, you have a lot of, you have a lot of opportunity to know a lot what's, what is a good brand to create because you're in it. So you've done that exact same thing. But I think the benefit of what you did is you didn't stay too long where then it's the whole game of, reaching partner and bonus every other year, you know, it, it's, it's, you can be trapped. So did you find it hard to leave that upward trajectory in finance that you're in to then create a brand? I mean, I think it's hard to leave any job, you know, whether you're in yeah. finance or consulting or engineering or whatever you might be doing to take the leap, take such a huge risk um, to start your own company or brand um, and potentially earn no money in fact, probably sink money into your new endeavor for years and years and years, um, it's difficult for most people. And I would say the advice I give people is if it's bothering you enough and for a long time, then I think you should at some point take the leap and do it because there is never going to be a good time to do it. When I did it, you know, I think I was 27 years old um, and I didn't have any skincare experience because I, I meet a lot of people who say like, oh, I'm going to wait, you know, one year or 10 years or five years until I have XYZ experience. But I think nothing in the world will ever prepare you for entrepreneurship as a first time entrepreneur. Um, no amount of operational experience, uh, small company, big company experience will ever be enough. And so not to say that you should jump in without any planning whatsoever, but I would yeah. say that there are a lot of people who come to me and they 
bank on this, you know, perfect plan. There is no perfect plan. Um, and I would also say that, you know, um, for me, it became easier for me to make that decision because it was all I could think about. Um, there was no other choice. It was bothering me so much. Um, and I would say that there is a big difference between investing and operating for those of you out there listening who are, you know, in professional services, consulting, invest, uh, or investing, finance, um, or, you know, anything outside of entrepreneurship. Um, I would say the big difference is um, when you're an entrepreneur, I think it's not just a number or a statistic on a page. It's so real. Every number is magnified. If your company is growing or declining by 30%, you're feeling those numbers so intimately. Um, and there's just so much that goes behind the scenes. And to stomach that risk is not easy. I've seen a lot of extremely yeah. smart people with the best resumes um, find that entrepreneurship is just not their cup of tea. No, that's such valuable advice, because I feel like it's really great to see someone who's been in a similar industry, jump ship, and then actually very much succeeded. And um there's no right or wrong, but there's your way. And I think the biggest advice is just start that journey smartly, but start that journey um, if if you have a passion for it and it's on your mind every day. Because it is that cliche of life is too short. And, you know, if you have something now, um, I, I, you know, you, you just need to start. That's it. That's as simple as that. I heard somewhere that, and I totally agree with this, um, that if you had given me a... a you know, on a piece of paper, all of the things that I would have to do to be successful as an entrepreneur, you know, with Ever Eden today, all the things that I overcame in the past four to five years building this company, um, I would look at that piece of paper and tell you, you're absolutely crazy, like batshit crazy. I would not do it, like run away. But going into this with uh, some naivete and innocence, um, not knowing exactly what I was getting myself into turned out to be the best thing because I ended up overcoming all of those things on that piece of paper. I've grown so much more than if I, you know, did not take that entrepreneurship leap. Um, but again, um, you, you can never have the perfect plan. No, that's exactly it. And, and it's also good to not have the perfect plan because you want to learn, you want to make mistakes and you want to surprise yourself as well. Like sometimes the imperfections or the lack of controlling things actually leads to something so unexpectedly great. Um, and I, I, I give you a perfect example. When we launched, I mean, this is such a small example, but when we launched Fable and Main, our first moment where we had like, you know, and this is such a pivotal moment for brands, as you know, when you have your biggest day of sales, like unexpected big day of sales. And as when we went viral and we did everything wrong, technically, we, you know, my sister spoke to an influencer. I wasn't in the loop. She kind of like negotiated without really any brief. We um, didn't even have them to tag Fable and Main. Like everything was done. Like I was like, oh my God, this is like all wrong. But then that led to virality because it became so authentic. It didn't look like an ad. It was done in their tone of voice. And then it was like, wait, that's the new way of me always doing influencers now. It's no longer controlling it. Um, and I was trained doing influencer marketing for five, you know, five years in, in, in the brands like Dior to be to doing it in a specific brief in a way. So actually it was like a blessing. So I think, yeah, that losing control and just being a bit unexpected can be the best as well. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So I would love now to talk about how, you know, Ever Eden started. And okay. if you can maybe tell us about the, the desire to create such a brand and the mission behind it and also the inspiration behind the name. Yeah. Um, so Ever Eden, our mission and our goal is to really be the number one premium multi-generational skincare brand in the world. Um, we started... Um, in, you know, very humble beginnings, um, selling um, just D2C. Today, we're in over 20 plus markets, both online and offline. Um, we are launching with Sephora across uh, multiple global markets this year as part of their big push into also, you know, premium family skincare. And the goal for us is to really treat multi-generational or family skincare with the same thoughtfulness, innovation as, 
and science, um, as you've seen in luxury women's skincare for decades. Um, when I was working in investing, one of the things I saw, which inspired me to start Ever Eden, was just billions of dollars in R and D and innovation going into luxury beauty and. Uh, women's skincare, but none of that really going to family. And it just struck me as so odd because I think for most of us, I think our families are our most important, uh, the most important parts of our lives. And yet, and, you know, when you think about babies and pregnant women, um, children, these are also the most vulnerable populations and yet their skin and their needs and their health, um, are getting less investment dollars in R&D and innovation than, you know, mascara. It just made no sense to me. And so part of what we do is taking all of that thoughtfulness, you know, the great ingredients, botanical ingredients that we know are proven scientifically to serve skin um, in the most healthy way um, and bringing that to family skincare for the first time. That's incredible. And did you, um, I always love to ask this question, but did you have a lot of um, initial, because Ever Eden is an incredible name and I'm like how did that get trademarked all that kind of stuff and that's how an entrepreneur starts thinking like because name Mm -hmm. choice is hard you know name choice you're often like sidelined into certain decisions just because of you know especially for when we be global um did it was it the first name uh did you have to do iterations did you have (laughs) issues with it yeah, no. Our, I mean, we were so naive. Our first name was Eden, which is like the most common name for a, a natural or a clean skincare brand, right? Um, yeah. And so our law- lawyer called us up one day and said, um, I'm so sorry to break it to you because we had like designed our logo and like pack and all that stuff already. So sorry, but Eden's untrademarkable anywhere globally. Um, and so we started thinking, like we really liked the idea of Eden and you know, the idea of Eden as this place of birth and purity, um, a certain innocence. Um, and, you know, I said to my husband, who's also my co-founder, um, what about this idea of creating, you know, beautiful products that are safe and innovative and special? Every person's Eden. So it became every Eden and then he's he's a very mathematic mathematical structured guy and he said you know let's cut the wide or something non-symmetrical about every eden and it became ever eden and so i think in a way the name is symbolic of the way we work and the way we we both think um yeah that's amazing i mean i love i love that's why i love asking this question because <laughs> consumers or you know they just look at a name and they don't really there's so much story behind that I feel like one day there could be like a film about all like the, the history of names of oh yeah and stuff could be a documentary could be so cool um and in terms of like you know starting MPD um mm-hmm. and pack you have the most beautiful packaging I just have to say Thank absolutely you. stunning um I would love to know kind of how did that whole journey of creating that mission led you know like a clean uh, sulfate free, silicon, all that, all the, all the good stuff. How did you end up ensuring that in formula, and um, where did you end up, you know, deciding to produce everything? Yeah, so we make everything in the USA, um, and so we have three um, Ivy League dermatologist moms who uh, are our moms in medicine. So they help us formulate, you know, they inform all our scientific, um, choices. Um, they screen all the ingredients that go into our formulas. Our chief scientific officer is, um, one of those three doctors. Her name is Dr. Joyce, and she's the head of Stanford's, uh, pediatric dermatology department. And so when we talk about having the strictest standards in the industry, when we talk about no sulfates, sulfates and no parabens, um, and, and whatnot, um, it's really informed by the decades of scientific research and experience that our moms in medicine have. They are first and foremost, um, of course, very, very experienced and talented doctors. Um, but at the end of the day, they're mothers. Um, and as dermatologists, their standards were high, but as mothers, their standards are even higher. And so for them, it's it's more about how do you, you know, take the the standards that already exist in the industry today, no parabens, no sulfates, but how do you make the formulations even more special? Because, um, you know, no sulfates, no parabens, like these are table stakes 
um, requirements nowadays from consumers, and that's just not enough to create a brand. And so for for us, how we go above and beyond is really introducing um, the best of science and the innovation that you're seeing in other industries, um, but not necessarily in family skincare and things that are proven to improve skin health um, of our families. Oh, it's incredible. And um, I mean, I know you also have an array of great ingredients that allow the products to perform really well and very clean ingredients too. Can you tell us a bit about them? And I know you have sunflower seed oil. Yeah. Um, so our favorite ingredient is sunflower seed oil. It's um, Dr. Joyce's favorite ingredient as well. Uh, reason being, it's one of the most research-backed uh, botanical ingredients in the world. It's proven to not just hydrate, hydrate and moisturize skin, but it's also proven to increase um, and strengthen the skin barrier. And so I think the, the WHO did um, a study with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation some years ago um, showing the use of sunflower seed oil in sub-Saharan sub Africa. It reduced infant mortality um, significantly, um, and it was a cost-effective way of doing so because um, it improved the skin barrier of infants so much so that um, it, it fended off diseases and some uh, leading causes of infant mortality in some of these regions. And so, you know, that's just an example of how powerful this ingredient actually is. And so we use it in almost every single product that we have. And we use um, a special... Um, process version um, that sort of retains more of its nutrients um, than regular sunflower seed oil. And I think that's also part of the secret sauce of Ever Eden. Oh. Uh, and in terms of products, um, what are some of your best sellers? And um, if you can like run us through a little few of them and what they do. Um, so our Soothing Baby Massage Oil is one of our best sellers and it has over 50% in um, our sunflower seed oil. Um, our baby face cream is a runaway success. And again, sort of 5, 10, 20 years ago, you'd get laughed out of the room if you told anybody that you were making a face cream for babies. Um, and I think part of why it's been so successful is, um, you know, babies' faces are more vulnerable and thinner than their bodies. It's the most exposed part of their faces when they're going outdoors. They're not wearing sunscreen or protection over their face necessarily. Um, it's exposed to drool and wind in the environment. Um, and so it is more vulnerable and more sensitized. Um, and I think also our customer, the Ever Eden customer, and really the the exciting opportunity in multi-generational skincare is that our woman uh, and our mom and our dad, um, they're looking for products that serve their modern lifestyles as parents. Um, they're not necessarily looking for commoditized offerings uh, that their parents or grandparents purchase. And so they're looking for specialized products like a nourishing baby face cream. And our other specialized product that's also been a runaway success is our golden belly serum for moms. And so it's the perfect pregnancy gift or postpartum gift for any of um, your mom friends, um, but it's um, proven to reduce scars um, and, and any marks. Um, it's also very nourishing and just luxurious and it's a real treat. I think for for any woman to use during that special stage in your life and so I think that's why these products have done so I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Well. Oh, and, you know, like, with Fable and Maine and my sister and the the child and memories it's all about rituals so mm-hmm. we use like hair oil mas- and, and, and head massage with my grandma and me and mm-hmm. um you know now you created a brand for you know what the generation the mother and child and do you have any beauty routines or rituals um with some of your products that you think would be perfect for any of the listeners to to try as first time ever agent uses yeah um i would say the soothing baby massage oil is just perfect um for bonding with your your infant or your child um just a lovely bedtime routine um after bath time right before you know your baby goes to sleep just rubbing some oil into his little feet uh or or body um and you know massage has been shown to also increase bonding between um the parent and child um so i i think that's a really great ritual um for me personally i use our um, nourishing baby face cream um, on my face. Um, I'm not a baby, but I, I just think it's a wonderful formula. It's safe for baby and it's really great for sensitive skin. It's super nourishing. It's got 72 hours of hydration. Um, and then I lock it in with a little bit of our golden belly serum. It's um, it's really a facial serum that's for body. The ingredients that we use in there are as luxurious and as premium as any of the top facial serums that you see in Sephora. Oh, well, I also, that's a very important fact because a lot of people, it's, it's a misconception and kind of an education game as well, but the very, the more clean and safe, um, your products are, the more they are quite multi-purpose, you know, you could, um, even though sometimes when it comes to positioning marketing or retail we tend to say it's you know for babies or for you know if you read the inky ingredients and you look at what the the benefits are there's no reason why you know a mom can use it but a dad can use it or uh, a baby could use it or an adult could use it it's just really um about kind of really analyzing what the benefits are and what the ingredients are i think that's really important because uh, especially when it comes to hair products like everyone yeah. says is it for your scalp i'm like well you can use it also i guess for your roots also for your strands like it does work um and i think that do you find that a lot with your products people are often um you know using it for uh, like like babies products using it for adults does that happen a lot with your consumers yeah i think the beauty about ever eden is it, it we are truly multi-generational and serving the entire family yes. um we've got special specialized lines of course um across svf and baby and kid and mom and we're launching a new line um called medical um you know for eczema and sensitive skin but what we've seen is that we're, our customers are coming back across categories. So our, our mom who's buying you know, our stretch mark cream is coming back to buy something for her infant and then an SPF product for herself and the entire family. That's the power of Ever Eden as a brand. And that is how we really intend on being the number one multi-generational skincare brand in the world. And um Part of why we were successful in raising our Series C round just mo- uh, a couple of months ago also is the power in, I think, effectively acquiring this one consumer who's actually shopping for the entire family. Um, and we've seen a lot of success in cross-selling um, our consumer with other things that she really needs in her life. And, and talking about Series C, yeah, that's actually the first time I really got to dive deeper into the brand because I really love industry publications and articles and I saw the beauty independent article about your it was a 32 million series C raise um and that was incredible and what was it what's it what has the the raising been like because do you have any advice for people looking to raise and what to like look out for yeah um I think coming from the finance and investing world myself, I I knew all the check the box things that investors would be looking for. I knew that, you know, there were certain metrics that they care the most about. Um, But if I were to give any advice to entrepreneurs raising um, 
in the early rounds, I think it's really getting your business model, your differentiation um, as a brand in the in an increasingly crowded marketplace, getting that straight. Um, and then practicing with other entrepreneurs and investors um, and ensuring that you can answer really tough questions um, about the team and challenges that you face. My personal experience fundraising um, has fortunately, you know, I think um, been uh, what I've expected. Um, you know, I spent many years in that industry, so I don't think anything necessarily surprised me. I think our CVC was interesting because um we wrapped up pretty quickly you know we we went out um and within a month or so we had several term sheets and we wrapped up wrapped up our second month um and so yeah i mean i owe it to the team that i have we have a very strong team and yourself as well like you know the, the knowledge is is great to have but if you don't yourself and anyone listening doesn't have the the finance or the investment uh knowledge or history you'll always know someone hopefully that will. So speaking and, you know, definitely when you're on that journey, ask and seek for advice because those decisions are very important, especially, especially early on, because I have a lot of founder friends in different industries, but mainly who started businesses during, you know, college time, university. They gave a big chunk of their company away sometimes to these accelerator courses or, you know, 10% for not a lot of money. And then they have to, the next round, they grow so quickly and then I had a friend who did a, a thousand X, you know, someone had to pay him back. It was ridiculous. Um, and it was like, oh, should I have just taken a loan? Or should I have done friends and family? Like all that stuff. It's very important. So um, advice is very much needed. It's, it's, some people like to keep it very private, but up to you. But I would say, you know, have people around you who know their stuff. It definitely can help. Yeah, um, I would say that, yeah. um, you know, speaking, that's a great point that you bring up. One thing that I find that entrepreneurs... Um, seldom do especially female entrepreneurs is negotiate hard on the Mm. terms of their financing they're just so thrilled to get the round and get a term sheet that they don't really dig in and and compare and negotiate the terms that they're getting um valuation of course is the big one because you don't want to be giving up too much of your company too early on um but there are so many other terms in there that first time entrepreneurs don't know how don't know to look out for i've seen term sheets with crazy clauses not necessarily you know term sheets that ever eden received but i've heard from friends where you know they would have term sheets with um this may be in other markets outside of the u.s um uh clauses for an ipo otherwise you know certain equity from from the founders could get clawed back or you know uh Mm. crazy clauses on um you know, the founder's ability to sort of um, uh, um, make exit decisions um, for their own company and so on. Yeah. And it might be hard to see, especially starting on what would be the future of the business and yourself in five years. But Mm -hmm. if you're going to take in money at that point, do think about all the permutations and possibilities because um, they could be very real, good or bad. And even if it doesn't succeed, like what is that kind of Point looking like you know all that stuff is very important but um there, there is that challenge as well of like uh, from my opinion I don't know what you would say is that, that a huge issue and it kind of stems back to when do you start your own business of do you take in external money from the day one so there's like low risk of let's say your savings or you know your money you've been working hard to rate uh, to earn or do you start with your own money where then you have a bit more of a proof of concept, a bit more of some run rate, and then you can then hopefully get a bigger valuation for less of the company at that point. Um, what would your advice be about the starting point um, for new term entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think it depends on your risk tolerance. Um, if you're happy um, using some of your own personal savings to get a head start, um, you know, by all means, go go for it. Um, and, but if that's not an optionality that you have, then I think definitely, you know, any of the um, uh, respected uh, accelerator or incubator programs could be a start. Angel investors, friends and family. Um, and I think increasingly there are more and more early stage 
funds out there um, willing to back very early stage ideas. So um, I would say go out and look for those lists. Um, you know, I think there, there are plenty of names out there and start cold calling and reaching out, cold yeah. emailing, um, getting people in your network to introduce you directly because that often leads to better um, responses and results, um, making sure your pitch, your, your deck looks really tight. Um, and again, getting trusted uh, friends and family or advisors to look over your deck and and hear your pitch multiple times over before you make that first impression with a prospective investor. I know you mentioned you work with your husband, um, <laughs> as I work with my my sister, not the same type of relationship, <laughs> but still a close, close person yep. in our lives. Uh, what is it like um, working with your loved one? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Um, for me, you know, I grew up with um, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family where both my parents were entrepreneurs, and that was my entire reality. And so, going into business with my husband later on just felt completely natural. Um, and I think it often works, you know, whether it's your husband or your loved one, you know, your brother or sister. I think it works um, if there. Are, two things. The first being you have the same vision and end goal and working style. So I think it doesn't work at all if one of you wants to build the next billion dollar company and the other person wants a lifestyle mom and pop company. Um, (laughs) Just not on the same page. The second thing is um, I think you guys have to have, people have to have very complimentary uh, skill sets and areas of focus in the company. Otherwise, you're going to step all over each other, and that and and the ro- the division of responsibility will not be clear. And that's where I see a lot of problems, um, not just with you know founders who who are loved ones um, or family members, but you know founders who were best friends before um, suddenly become mortal enemies because they're they're fighting every day over who has power over decision making who gets the last say and and who says what in certain meetings those two things would be literally the two things I would have said so that's like for me spot on it, it, it is really important to um, have clear remits and as you said complementary skill sets um, where you both feel, um, at, n- at no point in time, like even though someone might be doing theoretically or whatever more work than someone else, it's very normal. It's a roller coaster. But as long as there's that trust of like I couldn't do it without this person, then no matter what, everything kind of settles down and and and, and it's all fine in the end of the day. And then the second thing, as you said, it is really important to. I I would also say like it's very important to set um, healthy boundaries and like clear goals, as you said, of where you want to be. Because we, from day one, me and my sister, we sat down with like a lawyer and we were like, okay, what is the worst and best cases that could come? And we just need to like talk about it now. It's going to be so uncomfortable. Let's do it. Because then all those questions that might pop into our head later, it's been answered, right? It's been settled. So we can just move on to creation. But we don't start this journey without having a same common goal, at least. And it was for us very clear, like we want to save the animals, help wildlife. The fund is our long term goal. And then we want to exit in a couple of years. It was very okay. clear and it still is clear. Um, did you kind of do similar kind of sit downs and kind of like strategy, kind of like long term planning? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we just knew um, yeah. because I think we we both have very sort of similar uh, work styles. Um, my husband also came from finance um, and and also you know graduated from Stanford and also grew up from, in Malaysia. Um, and we're both very ambitious, aggressive, intense people when it comes to our goals. And so there is no even conversation about oh, do you want to build like a chill company or like a, a medium sized company? It was always like shoot for the moon or not. Nothing at all. Um, And all of that was unsaid. I think what needed to be said maybe between us was um, just certain boundaries, like you say. Um, I think for an entrepreneur, it's a it's a really long journey. And so I think it's really important for any beauty entrepreneur um, to set boundaries for 
him or herself um, for some sort of balance, even though I think work-life balance doesn't actually exist. Um, And so for me, I'm a morning person. I get up and start working extremely early in the morning and I like the evenings to myself. Um, And my husband is the exact opposite. He like has his best ideas at night when I'm already drinking wine and chilling. And I hate that. I'm like, stop talking to me about work. Like I can't even think right now. (laughs) Um, So I had to like set some of those like mini boundaries, like small things like that. Uh, Yeah. And you have to, I mean, I have the same with my sister. She's someone who, when she's off, like she's actually like, you can't even contact her. Like she'll be like six hours airplane mode. I'm like, what is she doing? But then certain things I'm like, Oh, I need your, your, I got a bank code. I texted to your phone. I need to pay this, um, you know, the supplier. Tell me now. And she's, she's I'm like, I can't reach her. I'm calling every single person and I can't reach her. And then I'm like, where were you? She's like, I was meditating. I was like, okay, great. But it's 5 p.m. So no, I completely relate. Um, and before we just go into, um, kind of the fire round questions, you mentioned like, you know, you're a morning person. So do you have like any rituals for success that keeps you motivated every day? Like, do you wake up and have, are you a coffee or you a matcha? Like, what's your kind of thing? Yeah, I need coffee to even function as a human being. So coffee first, everything else later. I started journaling very recently. Um, someone told me, you know, let's just try it out. Um, and I found it to be a pretty relaxing, cathartic, but also um, um, thoughtful thing to do in the morning. Just getting your thoughts out, you know in this words uh, stream of consciousness way, just writing nonstop for 10 minutes. You don't have to have an agenda necessarily, but um, there's something about putting pen to paper that not just calms the mind, but also organizes your thoughts and ends up revealing a lot about what you're thinking at the moment, what's bothering you and, and um, how to maybe solve it. It's, it's so true. Journaling, I think is something that, I do it not very, you know, religiously, I should do it more, but when I do do it, I find it's really helpful. So I definitely recommend everyone to do that. And especially, um, as a a visionary or an entrepreneur, it can be really helpful to like have them on paper and tether that to also your personal goals and your mind and everything. It's a 360. Um, so I think it's very important. Um, and so I asked, you know, before we go to fire run, I asked every single guest, um, this kind of like desert Island approach question. Um, but I kind of tether it to like, okay, you're traveling security is being really strict and they're saying, Kimberly, you can come, but you can only bring one product for you. Um, and I know, you know, you're not, you're not a mother. So from your range, what would be that one go-to product for you, um, from Ever Eden? What would be my one go-to product from Ever-Eden? It's um, a great question. I would say our, my, the Nourishing Baby Face Cream. It's just such a great product. If I'm in the desert, it's going to be dry. Um, it's going to give me 72 hours of hydration, this thing. Um, so I'll go bring that because I could, you know, it's, it's also super versatile. I could use it on my face, on my body, on my hands. Great. Um, and in terms, in terms of distribution, we didn't really talk about that, but where can everyone find Everedin today, apart from obviously the D2C, which you have a beautiful site and uh, it's obviously a great brand portal, but where can everyone find you guys? Yeah, people can find us. Um, we ship uh, to most markets internationally now at www.ever-eden.com or on Amazon um, where we ship to uh, the U.S., um, and we are also in select retailers. So in the U.S., we're in Erwan in California. Um, and this year, excitingly, we will be launching with Sephora as their anchor brand in the multi-generational skincare category across over 20 markets, um, starting with Canada. Amazing. Oh, I'm so excited. I mean, as a fellow Sephora brand, I can, if you need any tips about Sephora, let me know. I, I got you, but um, they're the best. Thank you. Honestly, one of the best retail partners, and and I, I call them, uh, you know, family because they're just the the merchants and the team and the 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 store manager. Everyone, it's just incredible. You're going to be so happy there. Thank you. Um, so, fire round questions. <laughs> First thing that comes to your mind: uh, What's another beauty brand that you're currently loving? I think um, I would have to say um, say. Um, the clean yeah, beauty brand. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lainey, um, you know, Lainey is a mom and 
she has also supported Ever Eden from the beginning, but that's not the only reason I love her brand. I think her brand's beautiful. You know, for me, I'm all about clean skincare and clean ingredients. And I know the effects that um, unhealthy living or bad ingredients can have on your body um, long term. And so when it comes to my own beauty products, um, Ever Eden does not offer any beauty or cosmetics products, but I trust Say because I know how high Lainey's standards are um, as a woman, as a mother. I love it. And fun fact, Lainey wasn't the first one released, but it was my first ever Founded Beauty podcast recorded was with Lainey. So oh, nice. um, she has a special place in my heart. Um, she's cool. amazing. Um, yeah. And we both worked at Estee Lauder at one point in our careers. So it was pretty cool. Um, gotcha. What is a guilty pleasure of yours? Um, reading celeb gossip. Um, I think I'm just, you know, I deal with so much stress and so much serious news every day that when I unwind my guilty pleasure, it's just going on Perez Hilton and really getting up to speed on what everybody else is up to. Is it still active? (laughs) I remember that site from many years ago. Is it still going? Maybe I'm the only one who still obsessively (laughs) reads every single post. You know what? We've got our VIP top reader, Kimberly's couple of hits a day. We need to to create content for Kim. I love it. Maybe all the clicks. I'm sure that it's still big. It's still big. All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, What what are you currently watching or reading? Um, I am rereading Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It's a, a book that I would recommend for any entrepreneur or any aspiring entrepreneur um, because so much of what we do past the sort of negative to sort of zero to one phase is team building in that growth and expansion phase. And so um, it's all about teamwork and execution. And this book is all about that. Um, and what's your favorite social media platform right now? Um, recently, I've been off social media. Nothing against it. I'm just, you know, post CVC super heads down with executing, um, you know, 2022 strategy budgeting. So I haven't had any time to go on social media, but prior to this craziness, um, Instagram. Instagram. Nice. Um, what's your favorite like mantra or quote that you live by? Favorite mantra or quote. Um, there are very few things in life that cannot be solved with either time, effort, or money. Love that. Awesome. I, I haven't actually, um, I, I mean, I have heard it, but I, I love the way you, that was phrased. So I'm going to definitely put that in my little mantra book. I have yeah. a little quote book where I just like write them down. It's so good. My dad, who's an entrepreneur, told me that when, you know, again, you know, growing up, one of the things that they said to me, and I, this one I remembered for some reason. And um, I think it wasn't until recently where, you know, going through a bunch of problems where I thought like, oh, he was so right. Like, you know, problem A, you know, leaving it alone for a couple of months solved itself or, you know, problem B through a little bit of money at it went away. Problem C worked hard at it went away. So there's nothing you can't solve. Just don't lose your head. Keep cool. Not a lot of things in life you can't solve. Love it. And last question is, if you weren't a beauty entrepreneur, but I also want to add, and and let's say you weren't in the finance industry (laughs) before, what would you be doing right now? Um, In a different lifetime, I think I, I, you know, I would just be in the creative field. Um, Maybe a writer, uh, maybe learning how to make film uh, or art. or studying linguistics, you know, I, there's something about yeah. languages and words, you know, written or spoken that uh, really capture my imagination. At the heart of it, I think I'm, I'm fascinated by how people live, love and hate. And that's communication. And I have a last question. I mean, I definitely could have a thousand more questions. And I'm no, I know we're going to catch up offline anyway, because you're just one of the most fascinating people I've met. So um, thank you oh, for thank just you. having the best conversation. But I do, I did read, and I'm so personally passionate about this is you learned Mandarin and you were like having as was it like you were uh, Skyping or video calling someone in Beijing? And like, how quickly did you learn Mandarin? Because I'm being, I, it's on my list. I need to learn it. Yeah, um, it's just, you know, Every Eden, we're a global business and we have a big presence, not just in the U.S., but in Asia. And so when I started Every Eden, um, I knew that 
Asia would be a big market for us. Problem is, you know, I didn't speak, I spoke zero Chinese, um, you know, when I started Ever Eden. And so when I quit uh, finance, when I quit my job at Oak Tree, I spent a couple of months um, living in Beijing where I knew nobody. Um, but I, I just learned intensive Chinese every single day for a couple of months. I then came back to the U.S. with enough of, um, you know, basic fundamentals where since since then, like 2018, I've been taking four or five hours of Chinese classes um, virtually, you know, with my teacher from Beijing every single week, you know, for four years now. Um, and I think it's consistency and discipline with language. But again, I think, you know, with going back to what I said um, earlier, with entrepreneurship, you will never have the perfect skill sets. You know, for me, my skill set was pretty fundamental to my business, like speaking the language of one of our major biggest markets today. Um, but, you know, I was young and I was naive. I thought, no problem. Just learn the language. How hard can it be? Chinese is very difficult to learn as an adult, by so the way. <laughs> it's so hard. Yeah, but I didn't know that. I quit my job already, so no turning back. Um, <laughs> but late. again, <laughs> it's so late. And I think, you know, I think sometimes you have to just go do it. You'll pick up the skills along the way. Um, if you have an appetite for entrepreneurship, um, then I think a lot of things and a lot of problems that might seem insurmountable in the beginning um, solve itself or you solve them over time and your muscle for problem solving grows. It's like when you work out, like you, you build physical muscles, but in entrepreneurship, yeah. like you build a muscle for problem solving. And so, you know, problems that used to keep me up at night and make me throw up with anxiety are problems. I don't even blink twice at like today. It doesn't even bother me at all. Um, and problems yeah. I face today and worry about today will probably not bother me next year. And so um, it's, it's a real interesting growth journey. Um, better buckle up. I love it. And also like, you know, it's kind of like this muscle memory, like, you know, mm -hmm. what you experienced before you might forget about it, but you've, your muscles don't and you'll be surprised how quick you can bounce back from let's say a failure today and a failure in three years because you've you've you know you've been training you're, you're training right now every year as an entrepreneur is building your your strength as a as a as a leader and a, and a visionary so i love it so um no kimberly it's been an absolute honor you're absolutely a trailblazer, you're so inspiring. Everything I read online is you're you're that and tenfold after speaking oh, to you for just you an so hour. Much. So thank you. Um thank I can't you. wait to meet you in person soon, hopefully. But um, in the meantime, where can everyone find Everedon on socials? I know you said we really said you know you're a bit um you know, let's keep the privacy a bit, but uh, uh, where can everyone find um, yeah, your brand? Yes, um, they can find my brand on social Instagram. It's at uh, Ever Eden Brand. That's our handle. Um, and follows, follow us on Facebook as well. Amazing. I'll put all the links in the, in the, in the bio so you can all uh, click it directly. Do check it out and um, be sure to, if you're interested in learning more about Kim's uh, journey, there's some incredible around, um, array of articles online. So just type in Kimberly Ho, I've read it and you'll find her. So thank you so much and um, we'll see each other hopefully very soon, Kim. Sounds good. Thank you, Akash. Talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Founded Beauty as much as I had making it. And if you did, please share it with a friend who you think will love it too. Founded Beauty is available on all podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music Podcasts, the Acast app, and many more. And I'm also very proud to be part of the Acast Creator Network. So be sure to follow the podcast so you can get episodes as soon as they drop. We really appreciate every single follow, listen, share, and review. It truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. So as a little thank you, I will be hosting a giveaway each week on my Instagram channel at meta underscore a, where you can win some amazing Fable of Maine goodies. All you have to do is follow me, check out my stories and all will be revealed. Stay tuned for the next episode of Founds of Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.